And we're live for another special edition of Locked On Sooners on a Monday. We're going to talk through the Bedlam win. We're going to talk through Oklahoma recruiting, picking up some big, uh, big momentum on the recruiting trail over the last couple of days. We'll talk about that, what Oklahoma did offensively in Bedlam. Uh, Josh will be joining us in just a second, but that'll be on tonight's episode of Locked On Sooners. Of course, we'll have your feedback, your questions, your takes as well. So make sure you drop those in the comments section on tonight's episode. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Lockdown Sooners. Thank you for joining us for a special live edition of the show. We're going to start doing this on Monday nights. That seems to be the best night to do it a little bit on the early side. So thanks for tuning in with us. we got a few people already in there watching. Shout out to you all. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. He's Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref and Norman. Josh, we didn't really touch on much of the offense, and I want to get to that. But what's happening right now on the recruiting trail is the thing that is kind of the most interesting thing to me. And I think that's really where we should start because over the last few days, well, first of all, backing up to Saturday, Oklahoma had a huge number of four and five star recruits in Norman for this game. David Stone, 2023, five-star player, David Hicks, sorry, David Stone, 2024, five-star player, David Hicks, 2023, five-star player had Peyton Bowen in-house. A number of people. We got a list for you over at Sooners Wire. You can also find a list over at OU Insiders as well. The thing that's really struck me is what's happened in the few days since. Like we're just less than 48 hours from the win, and Oklahoma has picked up two rivals future casts in favor of getting a flip for the five-star safety Peyton Bowen, who's committed to Notre Dame. And then they've picked up two three-star defensive line players. First, Ashton Sanders committed on Sunday, and then Taylor Wayne committed on Monday afternoon. And I'll be the first to tell you, maybe some other player, people have told you as well, but I'll be one of these people that tells you these two three-star players look like anything but three-star players. They look like under-recruited guys who are going to outperform their recruiting class. So, Josh, just to get us started, let's talk about the momentum that Oklahoma is building right now as we're about a month away now from the early signing period. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, yeah, it is, right? It's it's one month until we're going to start getting ink on uh, paper if that's still how it works, right? Yeah, fax, fax the ink in, and uh, we'll get this 2023 class started to – I mean, basically, it'll be finalized anymore. I mean, the early signing period in December is the big one, and – you might sprinkle in up to five uh, in the spring, but generally speaking, I mean, most everything's going to happen in that early signing period. So I'm with you, man. Uh, six foot five, 235 is what uh, Taylor Wine is listed on uh, 247 Sports. Maybe he's added a little bit of weight. I don't know. Uh, six foot one, 270 for Ashton Sanders. And he's got kind of that prototypical, I think, ability to, to build and be kind of your. Six foot one, 300 pound defensive tackle type. And we had Ashton Champ Sanders uh, on the show. So uh, obviously, go back and that episode out. It, it doesn't there, though, either. I mean, you mentioned it. Obviously, you're looking at potentially the, the big flip. We've talked a lot about that with uh, Peyton Bowen for 
really a, a number of weeks and a couple of months now. Uh, let's see, Nigel Smith, that's a 2024 kid. Kendall Dolby is uh, a Juco, Juco talent uh, at the corner position. So all of those crystal balls have come in there for Oklahoma. Not on Peyton Bone, that's the, the Rivals future cast, but that's why it was important, right, to play well with those guys in attendance. We knew that, uh, obviously. We're probably going to get the Hicks questions tonight. What does it mean for Hicks? It doesn't – I don't know. It doesn't feel like there's as much momentum on that side of the equation, John. But just in general, the recruiting for Oklahoma, it's it's paying off already what uh, OU did in Bedlam. Yeah, and I'll give you a couple quick thoughts on both Ashton Sanders and Taylor Wayne. So when I watched Ashton Sanders, and I mentioned this when we you know first talked to him, but the dude plays very athletic football for a guy his size, and that's going to cause a lot of interior offensive linemen trouble. Now, I think several sites maybe have him at 270. I think he's probably closer to 290 now, but he plays light on his feet, but he also plays strong. He's got a good bull rush. He's also quick off the snap and is able to get in the backfield quick. Uh, on Taylor Wayne, same thing. Dude's got a great first step. He's an athletic player. He's long. I mean, six foot six. Obviously, he's going to have long arms, but also he plays with really good leverage. Sometimes you worry about these really tall guys being able to, to play with leverage, set the edge in the run game and hold up at the point of attack. And that's not a problem for him. He's got a great long arms, able to get that in there to ward off offensive linemen. And he's able to just kind of get under and get low, you know, the low man wins and he's able to do that. Um, I love Taylor Wayne's kind of plethora of pass rush moves that he already has in his arsenal, which is pretty impressive to me. Like the kid is, you know, 17, 18 years old, and he's already, to me, got a refined set of pass rush moves that I think when he gets into Norman, hopefully this spring, and is able to work in the strength and conditioning program, work with uh, Miguel Chavis, continue to build on those things. I really like the idea of him being your future strong side defensive end because he's got the skill already. It just needs a little bit more refining, and he needs to add some bulk to be able to, to hold up. Um, as your strong side defensive end. So really, really huge. Um, on Hicks, uh, BMG Baby says, you know, Hicks, he'll believe it when he sees it. I'm I'm still kind of of the mind. Like we, uh, Texas A&M got somebody that entered the transfer portal um, just this evening again. So I'm of the mind that like Hicks is still a legit possibility. I know it's kind of the white whale right now for the Oklahoma Sooners uh, to use a old literature reference. Um, it's just that, that elite defensive tackle presence that we haven't been able to find in a, in a pretty long time. So I know people are a little bit hesitant on that front, but I still feel pretty confident that Oklahoma at least has a coin flip of a chance of getting that flip. Um, we'll see how things go over the next month. Uh, and maybe next few months, who knows if he'll be an early signee or if he'll be a national signing day signee, but, um, I, I think, Josh, what you mentioned about the recruiting class right now is unless something changes or these guys start to decommit, this group already a number seven ranked recruiting class in the 247 sports team rankings is pretty well locked in. And so you can only get better from here over the next few months as you get to National Signing Day. Well, and, you know, combining this year's class with last year's class, I think there's a nice little foundation being laid here to start the Brent Venables era. Obviously, I, I don't even know if we – well, probably we would call it a surprise, right, if indeed you're able to ultimately pull off the DJ Hicks flip before it's all said and done. But, uh, you know, that 
happening or not happening, I think Oklahoma is going to wind up with, again, a nice, nice recruiting class here to stack on top of the 2022 class. And we'll see what happens over this next month. You know, not even including Hicks, John, who some of the other names are that uh, Oklahoma makes a, you know, late recruiting pitch to. I love what uh, Ashton Sanders had to say. Some familiar thoughts that we've heard from other commits, which was wanted to find out if Oklahoma was home, came to Oklahoma, found out that uh, what Brent Venables was building, I'm buying into that. And what Todd Bates was selling me on the University of Oklahoma being like home and who he's about, everything everything fit for Ashton Sanders. So I think we're going to hear more and more of those stories as we go, not just in you know the month from now until signing day. I just think – that is going to remain kind of who Oklahoma is and what they're about with, with Venables and Bates. We're hypercritical because the, the team itself is six and five, and it's not been the start in the wins and loss column right here, right now. But I do think, again, John, just the, the foundation is being laid for this program, and there's a lot to be excited about with what they've done on the recruiting trail. Yeah, and we'll continue to talk about that, talk about some or respond to some of your comments, your questions uh, as we go along. Uh, first, got to get in a word from our sponsors here at upside hey if you're looking for a way to cut back and save money upside might be the app for you you can get cash back by using upside the free upside app it's available on the app store with apple or with google play again you can get cash back on every single purchase wherever you use cash or wherever you use your credit card you can get cash back with upside so to get started download the free upside app Use our promo code LOCKED and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. You're going to the gas station. If you're filling up, make sure you use the Upside app. You're going to get groceries, use the Upside app. Make sure you get the opportunity to get cash back when you do that because you can get more cash back using the Upside app than you would from your credit card or debit card or loyalty program. Again, Upside is the way to go. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week. That's probably why they have a 4.8 star rating on the app store. So download the free upside app and use promo code lock to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code locked. And thank you for making locked on soon as your first listen every single day. Thanks for joining us here on the live show. We're loving the comments, loving the questions. Uh, the, the one question we'll, we'll stick with on the recruiting trail is would David Hicks or Peyton Bowen be day one starters. Josh, I'll let you uh, start on that front. Feels like Hicks would have a very, very realistic opportunity, right? I I'm believe it or not, even, uh, even with Hicks being as incredible of a five-star type talent as he is. I don't know that I can just 1000% say that either one of those guys is a day one starter guys. It's, it's tough to start in college football. I don't care if you're a five-star talent or not. And especially at the defensive line. Are you kidding me? That's uh, that's really hard. But look, uh, for Oklahoma, unless things drastically improve and then throughout the offseason, you know, some of these, uh, you know, somebody like an Alton Tarber, unless there's some serious growth there, said, uh, you know, said Roberts, our Mason Thomas continues to develop. There's, yeah, of course, uh, DJ Hicks would have a chance, right? Just because we haven't seen ton of difference makers up front for Oklahoma. I think finally versus Oklahoma State, John, we started to well, we got probably our first really good defensive line performance in quite some time, but he would have a chance. It's just, again, it's hard for me. I mean, where are you at on that? It's hard for me to imagine anybody stepping right in and just being a difference maker. Not that we haven't seen it before, that it's impossible. It's just hard for me to sign up for that. 
Yeah, let's, I'll start with Bowen, and then I'll go to Hicks. On Bowen, I don't think it's as likely just because you've got Billy Bowman back there. Robert Spears, Jennings has flashed, but you got a talent like Bowen, and he could – you know, he could earn snaps at least and be part of the safety rotation on Hicks. I think you mentioned it. It's really hard to make that step at the defensive tackle position, interior offensive line, tight end. You, you see it from the college ranks to the NFL. I think the same is true for high school to college. It's, it's a big jump in physicality where you're not the most physically gifted player anymore. You're going up against guys that are also really physically gifted. And so it, it's a big transition. Now, Saying that, TCU had a guy that was 17 years old starting at nose tackle for them this season. So, I mean, there's going to be a chance that he can come in and earn those snaps right away. I mean, he's a, an elite talent. He'll have the potential to at least earn snaps. Whether he starts day one, that, that'll be a good question. There's going to be potential because you've got guys like Isaiah Coe, Jordan Kelly, our seniors, Jalen Redmond could be NFL bound potentially could come back another year based on just the production from this year. Uh, Jeffrey Johnson, he's gone. So there's, there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of snaps opening up with just the transition. Now we don't know what, if they'll add anything in the transfer portal, but like you said, you got Alton Tarver, you got Cedric Roberts, Grayson Halton. He got, you know, a few snaps in this last game. So there are some guys that he'd have to compete with. Uh, but that's not to say he couldn't win the job, but I think it's just, it's just tough um, to make that transition. If you haven't been in the strength and conditioning program, you haven't been with the club for a year, you know, going up against guys like Andrew Rame and Chris Murray and McCade Mattire every single day and developing your game. So uh, that's not to say that Hicks isn't an elite talent. It's just to say it's really hard transition to make for any college or any high school to college uh, guy. You know, 405 boy, he says Tommy Harris and Gerald McCoy were day one stars. So, yeah, maybe he could be. Maybe David Hicks could just be that that guy, that dude that is uh, the one percenter, you know, of defensive tackles that are able to step in right away. Well, and that's exactly the message that I was going to hit on, John, is look, if DJ Hicks, if he commits and signs with Oklahoma, then he's that dude, right? You want him to be the Tommy Harris or Gerald McCoy. That's the way we're talking about this kid. So if it happens and – you know, if it happens, sure, he's going to have a chance. And even larger than that, John, if I'm the coaching staff, absolutely, I'm selling the idea that he could step right in and start. I'm not making any promises because I think that that's a bad and a dangerous path to walk and habit to get into on the recruiting trail, John. But uh, I'm saying, look, yeah, it's an, it's a legitimate open competition for you. Yeah, and I think you you have to kind of have that carrot dangling out there, right? Like you have the opportunity to earn snaps. It doesn't matter if you're a freshman, if you're a fifth year senior, everybody's got the same opportunity to earn those snaps. Uh, they've been a little bit reluctant to put true freshmen out there on the field. You've seen guys like R. Mason Thomas continually earn those opportunities and get better and better as the season's gone along. A guy like Jaron Canick, he got some more opportunities earlier in the season. They've been fewer and far between as the season's gone. Robert Spears Jennings, who I just mentioned, I feel like he's getting a little bit, you know, a few more snaps here and there. So it's, it's just going to depend. I mean, it depends on how things play out. I think they're really, um, they really, really want their guys to know their jobs. They're not going to put them out there if they see them making mental mistakes out on the field. So we'll see. I, again, an elite player. Um, so, you know, Jimmy Satterfield saying 405 Boyd or he's adding 405 Boyd saying Gerald McCoy didn't start until his red shirt freshman year. And that makes a big difference. Like if you sit a year, and then you come in and you start, that's a huge difference. Being in the program for a year matters. Like having that spring, 
having the summer, the fall, even if you're on the scout team, having that scout team fall where you're able to go up against really good offensive linemen, it just, it's going to make you better no matter what. So, um, there's a, there's a great you know, comment in here about Dylan Gabriel. And I think that's when we, how we need to transition. We need to start talking about Bedlam a little bit more. Let's talk about the offense on our show yesterday. We tried not to spend a whole lot of time, you know, talking about what went wrong because we were just reveling in the win. We were just enjoying the win because hey, we've only gotten six of them this year. They've been few and far between. So we just, just enjoyed it, but we got to talk about it because after that first quarter, I really thought this team was going to put up 50 and maybe even 50 by the end of the third quarter, like the way that they were playing offensively, it was a complete bombardment. Oklahoma state had no answer. Dylan Gabriel was sharp and they really weren't leaning on the running game a whole lot, but they were effective on the offensive side of the football, putting up 28 points. Dylan Gabriel was 14 of 18, well over 200 yards. He had two touchdowns passing one rushing and his throws to, you know, that the one in particular to Drake Stoops in the back quarter of the end zone was a was a dime. Like that was an absolute dime. Um, and then in the second quarter, things just kind of started to unravel. They weren't as sharp. And the the play that sticks in my mind is Dylan Gabriel just kind of straight missing Gavin Freeman on the swing pass, like a throw he's made hundreds of times, and he misses that throw, which would have led to a first down. And they have to punt. And then at the end of the first half, when you have a chance to put points on the board, Dylan Gabriel throws a little bit behind Drake stoops, which makes it a, a more difficult catch. And the ball goes up in the air. It's intercepted. Again, you take points off the board. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of where that offensive momentum just started, kind of started to deteriorate for Oklahoma was in that second quarter. Um, Josh, just your kind of initial thoughts or initial takeaways just on what happened offensively for the Sooners. They weren't good. <laughs> <laughs> After the first quarter is uh, my thoughts on what happened. I don't know. What, what do you make of the Jeff Levy comments? I'll read this, this quote to you, John. Uh, this is from our boy, Parker Thune. Uh, and this is what Jeff Levy said in his press conference today. He took responsibility for OU just, you know, going brain dead for the final three quarters. Quote, it's on me for being too conservative. Thankfully, defensively, we were lights out, end quote, which – Yes, they, they absolutely were really, really good defensively. I kind of get what he's saying there to some degree. Uh, you know, I mean, I think it's frustrating that you didn't find more success being able to, to just lean on the run game. But, uh, I mean, I to some degree, I can sit there, and maybe not late in the game, where you're sitting there wondering, okay, well, what the heck are we doing? Why are we snapping the ball so quick? Why are we not using more of the play clock? You absolutely gave uh, Oklahoma State an extra possession with it because of the way that Oklahoma approached that. So that's on Jeff Levy, right? That's uh, that's not on – I. you know, I've seen some people making the comments out there, John. Well, at some point, you, you know, Dylan Gabriel or whoever's got to take accountability. Man, Jeff Levy's in communication with the, the offensive personnel out there. Jeff Levy's got to take the reins and say, hey, guys, slow this thing down and burn more of the play clock here, but – before that, I can kind of get what he's saying, John, on being a little bit too conservative maybe of trying to maybe lean on the run game a little bit too much when other things possibly were working better. But I don't know. I mean, that's – it's just puzzling how bad they were for, again, three quarters. Crazy. I'm muted. I always do that if I'm getting a drink of coffee. Sorry about that, guys. I'll have a response to that here in a second. But I want to talk to you all about Bet Bet Online is the best place 
to get all your sports wagering information and to bet on all your favorite sports. They've got everything you could need from football, basketball, MMA, boxing, UFC, NBA, NHL, whatever you need. It's over at Bet Online. Oklahoma right now, a two-point favorite on the road, going to Lubbock. So you like that? Night game, it's going to be a little bit weird. It's hard to know where to stand on that one right now, but I'm liking Oklahoma's chances. So if you're liking Oklahoma's chances, go to Bet Online. Again, the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online is where the game starts. Uh, I I think that's him just trying to take kind of take some ownership of it. I do agree that in a way he was a little bit too conservative, but in another way he was being ultra aggressive. You know, third is like third down and four or five late in the game, and and you're still up 15 points and you're just trying to kill clock. They throw it on. They throw it. And it's like a, you know, a play action bootleg out to the left. And Dylan Gabriel has only one option on the, on the play call and there's nowhere to go with it. Um, And then there was a first down play, I believe on the previous drive where Dylan Gabriel dropped back to pass to throw the ball. And you're like, okay, we're kind of in this point where we need to kill clock and we're out here throwing the football. And I don't, I don't mind that when your passing game has been good, um, you're trying not to be predictable offensively. You're trying to, you know, make sure you're keeping the defense off balance because they're going to be looking run, right? Like less than five, six minutes left in the game. And you're just trying to kill clock. You're trying to pick up first downs. And so the defense is going to be sitting on the run. So I get it. You're trying to be unpredictable a little bit. At the same time, your, your passing game had been garbage for basically three, you know, from the second quarter on, so how do you trust it in a first and 10 situation under six minutes to play or third and five under you know three or four minutes to play in that game? That's the part that really baffles me because a pick, a sack fumble, any of those situations or throwing just an incompletion puts more time on the clock. And again, like, like Levy said, thankfully the defense was up to the task but Jeff Levy did them zero favors. And I, I appreciated Brent Venables kind of calling it out in the postgame press conference saying like they ran 102 plays. We can't do that to our defense. And you can't like complimentary football is realizing, oh man, that the defense is playing really good. We should help them out a little bit by burning as much clock as we possibly can. If we run it three straight times and pick up zero yards, at least we burned a minute 20 off the clock or what a minute, minute, 40, 20, a minute or two minutes off the clock, basically. So like, there's nothing wrong with that. When you're up two scores, burn the clock and punt the ball away because the defense is playing good football. And I know that's a weird thing to say. We haven't been able to trust him in that mode all year long. But in this game where Spencer Rattler, or man, I keep calling him Spencer Rattler. I think it's all the picks, Um, but sorry, I shouldn't do that because Spencer Rattler just beat Tennessee. Uh, yeah, that's what a 63 it is. point outburst. That's what that's what's in my mind. Uh, Spencer Sanders had thrown three, four picks in the game and had been sacked a bunch of times, had been pressured and hurt a bunch of times. He was making plays, but it wasn't consistent. The defense was always up to the task. So Jeff Levy's got to play within the game, too. Like, yes, you, you want to be fast. You want to play fast as an offensive coordinator, but you also got to be aware of what's happening within the game and adjust. You got to adjust yourself. You got to learn from that. Because you're again, you're not doing yourself any favors by running the by you know incomplete passes, three and outs. You're not doing the defense any favors. So 
just be aware of what's happening. Like if your quarterback's just not on, then don't, ex- don't expect him to throw it on third and five, just hand it to Eric Gray or Javante Barnes, or if anything, do the wide receiver screen pass or the, the wide receiver screen pass or the, the jet sweep or something, a safe play that is going to be a high, a high percentage throw. That's what it is. Um, so I kind of get where he's coming from, but I think he was being a little too aggressive actually. Um, and, you know, continually throwing the football with Gabriel when, I mean, he was like, Oh, for seven in the third quarter and not much better in the fourth quarter. So yeah, it, it's to me, the, the levy thing has been really weird. I, I still think he's a good offensive coordinator. I think at some point with Jackson Arnold at the helm, this offense will look a whole lot better because he just has more tools than Dylan Gabriel. And that's not to say Dylan Gabriel is a bad quarterback. He's just an above average to maybe good quarterback. Um, when he's great, he's great. But yeah, it's it's been confounding this season with Dylan Gabriel. There's been some really high highs and some really low lows. Well, and I think, you know, the guys uh, and girls uh, in the chat, I mean, they've kind of got it, kind of got it exactly right that at times, look, Dylan Gabriel and Jeff Levy's, they're not getting the help from the the skilled personnel out there. Uh, many times, yeah, you can pull that one back up. That, there, there you go, that one too. How did Farouk drop those three easy easy passes? Mims is up and down also. That's from Brian. Can't catch anything in Ames. Then has a great game versus Baylor. Then drops at West Virginia. Then a good game against Oklahoma State. Wide receivers have been weird this year. Jimmy, with all the drops by the wide receivers, should we go after another wide receiver coach? Yeah, I think, uh, John, it's going to be an interesting offseason for the staff in general, right? And I've kind of heard the rumblings that don't expect necessarily a ton of changes across the board. Uh, I've got one defensive name in mind that some of you, I think, maybe would like to see a change. And I'm telling you, based on some of the stuff that I'm hearing, I don't know that I'd necessarily bank on Ted Roof not being around next season. And maybe that's across the board. Uh, I I feel bad for Washington. You know, it's – you know, obviously it's going to fall back on him, right? Because the wide receivers, John, they have just simply been up and down. But at some point, you know, Marvin Mims, be be a star, right? And maybe we're being a little too hard on Marvin Mims uh, at times just because, look, uh, you know, I look up and most weeks he's leading the team in receiving and it's like, okay, but it's the, the untimely drops, right? Jaleel Farouk, he can't drop three passes last week and be one of the top receivers on this team. So, yeah, it's a lot of blame to go around I think offensively John and the you know coaching staff obviously there's some questions to be answered there as well I I think about last week and then I think about this week John just the extended stretches of poor offensive play that that this team has struggled through really the entire first half right at West Virginia and then three quarters versus Oklahoma State it's uh uh, just one final thing on this the uh, Parker Thune tweet sharing the quote from Jeff Levy. I thought this was kind of interesting. Listen, to I would have never thought this was how this thing was going to play out, John. Listen to a couple of the first comments. I will personally pay for Levy's flight out of Norman. Too conservative. He was throwing every first down and running tempo. I'm so confused. I mean, it's like up and down. The fan base, there's a lot of frustration with Jeff Levy and how this offense this year has played out. Yeah, it's it's been frustrating, and I get what people where people are coming from on Marvin Mims. I thought Marvin Mims had a solid day. I mean, it wasn't spectacular, but he didn't have any drops. It was an efficient day for him. It wasn't the big 150 yard game with touchdowns, but it didn't have to be after the first quarter that they had. Um, so I'd be curious if we had access to the all 22 film 
it'd be a lot easier to to talk about what the offense looks like, especially you know beyond ten yards down the field because you don't get to see what what's the deep routes, what's what's the situation on that front. Um, but it doesn't seem like this team throws a lot of crossing routes. I, we talked about that last week. Um, you know, when was the last time that Jeff Levy called a crossing route? I think they did call one, Marvin Mims, but it was just short of the first down. I think it was like half a yard short. Um, and and I, I said it in the game on the Locked On Sooners Twitter account that I'm so tired of seeing this team throw short of the sticks on third and fourth down. It, it's mind boggling to me why we're throwing every single third down pass short of the sticks. I don't understand that. Like that is like basic offensive football, right? Especially if you're a wide receiver, former wide receiver here, you run to the sticks, like you run to the first down marker and then you break on your route. Whether it's a comeback, you run past the first down marker, you come back so that you're still past the first down marker. If it's a, an in, a square in, you're running to the first down marker and you're making sure you're catching that ball beyond the first down marker. If you're running a slant, you're making sure you're getting to the first down marker. Oklahoma State had the same problem on Saturday night too. Like you've got to get to the first down marker. Like throwing it five yards in front of the first down marker and hoping that you're going to be able to pick up the yak to get there. Hope is not a plan. It is not a plan. Throw it to the sticks, please. And, and I, I think Jackson Arnold is not going to be afraid to throw it to the sticks. Like this is a dude that's going to push the ball downfield. Uh, and so I'm, I'm excited for that. Um, let's get to a few more of these comments, Josh. Um, Lester speaking of Jackson Arnold, he asks, can Jackson Arnold challenge Dylan, man, I'm excited for next year, Josh. Yeah, I, I think he can. Uh, I mean, maybe this will fly in the face of <laughs> some things I said not too awfully long ago, long ago about DJ Hicks. But, uh, you know, and, and for both, I, I don't know that I would have Arnold as the leader in the clubhouse for me. I still think that Dylan Gabriel's probably you can pretty safely bank on he's going to be your starter next season, at least to begin with. But Jackson Arnold, is he going to give him give him a run for his money? Absolutely he is. John, he's a five-star talent. Of course he is. Yeah, and I think so. I think just strictly out of loyalty, Dylan Gabriel will get the first chance to start. No matter what happens in the spring or in the summer, it's going to be Dylan Gabriel's team. If assuming he comes back, I, I imagine he's back for at least one more year. Um, and so I assume that that's going to be the case. And in that same vein, I think Nick. Nick Evers will probably start out as your quarter, your, your QB two. Uh, he's been in the system. He's, he's a Levy guy. Levy's first trip uh, on the recruiting trail after signing his contract with Oklahoma was down to flower mound to go meet with Nick Evers after he committed or decommitted from Florida. So I think just out of loyalty, that's kind of how it's going to stack up Jackson Arnold. I mean, he's going to be there and he's going to be, you know, earning snaps and trying to you know, work his way up the depth chart. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if we start hearing Jackson Arnold chants the first time we see uh, see some some poor quarterback play in a Sooners uh, game next year. If if we see um, some some issues there, uh, so I think there's there's every chance Jackson Arnold could end up playing and playing a lot next year. Um, but I think it's it'll start with Gabriel, and they're I think they'll ride with Gabriel as long as they absolutely can. Um, they've but unlike this year, they'll actually have some options next year. You know, a more uh, experienced Nick Evers, you know, a five-star quarterback commit in Jackson Arnold. So, yeah, I think I think that's going to be 
uh, the case. Uh, Brian, he talks about Eric Gray running the football, could have easily had another 100-yard game. I agree with you. I Javante Barnes was playing really well, and so I didn't mind that they were giving him carries. What I did mind was how often they were still trying to throw the football in the third and fourth quarter when it wasn't working. Right, and it's okay to just give it to Eric Gray, right, or just give it to Javante Barnes. There's nothing wrong with that. If uh, Oklahoma State's having trouble stopping it, which, you know, large part of uh, Saturday seemed like, especially with Barnes, uh, seemed like they were having trouble stopping it. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. That was something that used to always drive me nuts about Lincoln Riley is like sometimes, dude, run the ball. It's okay. You don't have to be the the boy genius calling every smart play. If If they can't stop the run, run the ball. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. And even if they can stop it, still run the ball because it still makes them respect it. You know, like, and that's the whole reason why coaches always talk about establishing the run. They don't even care if it's effective. They just want you to think that they're going to run it so that they can run play action and they can pass and all that good stuff. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited about Javante Barnes. I think that was his best game of the year. I know he had a hundred yard game earlier in the season, but this was the one where I felt like, okay, he wasn't just picking up the yards that the, the offensive line was creating for him. He was actually making guys miss in the backfield or, you know, breaking arm tackles at the line of scrimmage and picking up tough yards after that. So I thought it was a really, really solid performance from him in this game. So, um, yeah. And were there any other things here? Yeah. I know we talked about this yesterday, but just while we've got a little bit of the audience here, I thought that was such an important performance for Oklahoma defensively. And I know we've spent a lot of this show talking about the offense and look in our last episode, we didn't spend a lot of time critiquing the offense. So that's, that's the way it goes, right? We're going to talk about what's good. We're going to talk about what wasn't so good, but I said this uh, yesterday and I, I believe it. I think that's one of the best things that could have happened to Oklahoma. Just the, holistic vision of Oklahoma's program. The fact that Oklahoma had to lean on its defense to go win a game and for three quarters, they stunk coming on the heels of a game where guess what? Oklahoma was great defensively for a half and then kind of wilted late. Oklahoma was put in a similar situation again. And what, what did they do, John? They came up with a big turnover late and, and won the football game. So you're not going to hear me complain first and foremost about a win right now for Oklahoma a whole heck of a lot. And you're definitely not going to hear me complain a whole lot. Heck of a lot about a performance where defensively OU was really, really good. Yeah, hundred percent. And I and I think the thing that really stands out is the way that they kind of mentally rebounded, you know, from that loss to West Virginia, where as you mentioned, they played really well in the first half. I even felt like they were playing still good football in the third and fourth quarter. It's just they weren't making all the plays. Like, you know, they were making a play here, a play there, but weren't able to get off the field. Well, they were getting off the field against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State was driving the ball, but Oklahoma came up with the plays. They came up with the clutch plays in the clutch situations to get off the field, get the ball back to the offense, and and prevent Oklahoma State from scoring points. And that's what it comes down to is points. You know, a week ago or nine days ago, they allowed West Virginia to score 23 points, and they lost. This past week, they only allowed Oklahoma State to score 13 in a game in which Spencer Sanders threw for 380 yards. Like, that's unreal. And with how well or how poor this run defense has been all year, especially against the quarterback, they were much better against Spencer Sanders running the football. They did a really good job against the traditional running game. 
Were there issues in the passing game? Sure. But they've got some good players like Brendan Presley. He's going to, he's a legit NFL talent. Like he's going to be somebody slot wide mm-hmm. receiver at the next level because he's just so dang difficult to bring down. At the same time, there are some guys on Oklahoma's defense that need to improve their tackling a little bit. Um, but the defense in general, as a whole, it showed life. Like it showed what this team can be under Brent Venables. And it was it, like you said, it was a really important performance because it, it that's what's this that's what is going to be the identity of this team. Are they going to be able to have great offensive games? Absolutely. But if they want to get to being a you know conference title contender again, a national title contender, it's the defense that has to change. And that was the issue under Lincoln Riley. Great offenses, but never had the defense that could really help this team contend at the national level under Brent Venables. It has to be that way. I mean, that's where he's made his money. That's where he's made his reputation. And if it's not that way, it'll be a short tenure for Brent Venables. But I think these last few, three of the last four weeks, Iowa state, um, West Virginia and Oklahoma state, again, not necessarily the best offensive teams in the conference, but those three games showed signs of life and showed that, Hey, this is going to be a productive defense moving forward. Again, let's run down the stats. Six sacks, four interceptions, 13 tackles for loss, seven pass breakups. We're really good on third down, much better on third down than they were a week ago. Um, and they had they had Spencer Sanders under pressure on 40% of his dropbacks. 40%. That's a huge number. He dropped back to pass 80 times. So on, what, 32 or 36% or 36 of those dropbacks, he was under pressure, according to Pro Football Focus. That's going to make life really, really difficult on any quarterback. The best quarterbacks, if they're under pressure, they're not going to play well. He only completed nine of 21 passes under pressure. So that's what I wanted to see. Now, again, they're going to have some turnover at the interior defensive line spot. But that doesn't mean they can't continue to get better off the edge. Ethan Downs, I think, played one of his best games as a Sooner in this one. Led the team in total pressures, had a sack, and I felt like he was just in the backfield a lot. R. Mason Thomas, he's a player. I think we're, I think it's safe to say at this point that that dude's a player. He's just, he's able to create so much pressure off the edge and threaten and stress offensive tackles that guys that can create pressure, they just can create pressure. If you can do it as a true freshman, you're going to be able to do it to a much better extent as you continue to develop, continue to get stronger, continue to get faster, get quicker, develop your pass rush moves. So I'm really, really excited for what our Mason Thomas is going to bring to the table. Um, probably your starting edge group next year, Ethan Downs, our Mason Thomas. And that to me, I'm intrigued by that. Ethan Downs got his first full year of start as a starter this year. Our Mason Thomas, he got to play, you know, sporadically will have a chance to be a starter next year. So I'm really, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's able to do. Uh, you know, Jay Morris mentions it, you know, developing in the weight room. That's good. It's going to be a huge off season for him because if he's able to kind of take that next step, I mean, you're looking at a guy that kind of has, to me, has some like Nick Bonito potential, uh, you know, as a, you know, potential ceiling, you know, maybe a, you know, five, six sack guy as a floor a little bit. Well, and because of the way this year has played out for R. Mason Thomas, with him being so young and now uh, he's got a, you know, quite a, I, we don't, I don't have the total snap counts in front of me, but he's played a lot for Oklahoma this season, John. So he's going to be somebody that it's expected the light bulb will come on, right? The light bulb will come on. 
Physically, he'll get stronger again throughout the offseason, and then he's ready to roll. I mean, it's going to be expected, yeah, that he's going to be one of the key cogs up front for Oklahoma defensively, and uh, OU needs him to be everything he's been this season and a lot, lot more, right? They need that, and then they need, you know, multiple other guys to be surprises or to have that growth that we're talking about. I mean, like when we talk about DJ Hicks, I'm I'm serious when I say somebody like Alton Tarber or whoever – can develop, right, and be ready to go as early as next season as a difference maker because that's just how it works. You get into the program. It takes some time. You learn. You go through uh, the – you get schmidtified, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's it's football time, right? Hey, one more thing about uh, the, the TFLs and the sacks and the pressure. And uh, look, any news to anybody here, but sacks, TFLs, pressures, QBHs, what are they equal, John? They equal Tanoga, right? Giveaways. They equal giveaways. Oklahoma with the uh, Sanders mistakes last week. Now, all of a sudden, they have rocket shipped up. They're tied 37th nationally in turnovers gained. Uh, they've gotten 15 interceptions on the season, which is, you know, a, a really, really good number. And obviously, four against Spitzer Sanders. Boom, stock is rising in that department. So, just great to see Oklahoma pressure the quarterback and, and create takeaways, man, because – Look, I, I hate to hate to steal the phrase, but take takeaways equals victory. Yeah, it comes down to that. When you win the turnover battle, more often than not, you're going to win, like to a large degree. Um, you wanted the snap counts. Let's. I'll just run down some interesting ones for you. Again, Pro Football Focus, according to them, R. Mason Thomas, 18th on the team in snaps. He's only played in eight games, uh, 194 snaps, uh, but that's only behind Ethan Downs, Reggie Grimes, Jonah Laula from the edge group, like. He's fourth among defensive ends in snaps this year. Now they played a lot of three-man lines. They played a lot of you know four-man, a lot of different line uh, you know setups. Uh, so again, for a true freshman to be fourth among your defensive ends in snaps, that's pretty salty. Like that means you're a too deep guy. You know, in your first year, you're out snapping Marcus Stripling. So that's pretty good um, among true freshmen. I mean, he's got the most snaps. So I think that I think we can feel pretty confident about his future um, with, with Oklahoma. You know, I um, don't think, uh, I don't think the the story on strip is completely written yet either, by the way, I think that he's gotten lost in translation because of the injuries and Nixon and Nax he's had this season. I think that he's somebody that the, you know, you start projecting into next season, which we're, <laughs> I hate to say it. I mean, it just goes so fast, but we're almost to that point now. I think no. strictly somebody, I, I know it's it's just not fair. I, I think stripling somebody that again is going to be a serious factor before it's all said and done. And we start trying to put the puzzle pieces together for next season. I think that's uh, something somebody again to be excited about. I think it is. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of these freshmen that are part of Brent Venable's first recruiting class that have a chance to be really good players. Um, I think we've seen flashes, you know, Robert Spears, Jennings, Gentry Williams, Jaron Canick, uh, our Mason Thomas, we talked about Grayson Halton. He's had some, some moments as well. Like a lot of guys on the defensive side of the football that didn't play a ton, but you saw them get into games and they stood out in good ways. Not in like, Oh crap, your true freshman's out there. And he, now he's getting picked on sort of a way. Like, you know, the, I, I still think back to the, the first nap. I remember Robert Spears Jennings actually getting on the defensive side of the football and just like flying into the frame and putting a lick on Hunter Deckers. I believe it was that game. And you're like, okay, okay. RSJ's got a little something here. We're gonna we're gonna see a little something from RSJ. So, 
it's, I think there's still a lot of uh, building that this defense can do. Um, you, know, you still got some really strong young pieces. Uh, I, there was one comment up here about Danny Stutzman um, that I wanted to, to talk about because I think this kind of reflects a lot of people's opinion. Um, you know, Lester said he hated Danny Stutzman at times, but he's going to be great. I, and I think over the last few games, Stutzman's played really, really well. And I mean, are there still misses on, at, from time to time? Absolutely. But something I was thinking about today, like in seasons like this, when you're not having your best year, um, the wins aren't coming easy. Every little mistake gets magnified to a great degree. Um, especially when you play a high profile position like the Mike linebacker. Danny Sutzman has been really good this year. I mean, Brent Venables is really confident in who he is and, and what he's going to be able to develop into. He said so um, after the West Virginia game, I believe he, he thought he had a really good game um, and he continues to do that. Like he's really building some positive momentum as the 2022 season comes to an end. So um, really, I feel really good about what Danny Setsman is going to be. And you're going to need him to be really good and take that next step into great, hopefully, because you're getting, you're not going to have Deshaun White. You're not going to have David Aguebu back. And the linebacker death is, it looks promising from a recruiting standpoint with Jaron Kanick and Kobe McKenzie and Kip Lewis in the 2022 class. And then you got Lewis Carter coming in and Phil Picciotti and Samuel Masigo in the 2023 class. So that, that, group right there looks promising they got a lot of stars between them but you don't know what they're going to be in 2023 so i think that might be an area where they might have to do some shopping in the transfer portal just to get you know a veteran presence back there with danny stutzman but yeah danny stutzman's looked really really good i think it was important too that after the dare i say the podcast on the prairie debacle or <laughs> the Danny Stutzman podcast on the prairie happening. I don't know, you know, how, how we want to refer to that. I think it was important that Brent Venables backed him the way that he turned around and made a point in the, in the press conference last week to say, yeah, you know, I know some people think Danny Stutzman stinks around here, but I, I see serious growth from Danny Stutzman and he's going to be a hell of a football player. And I don't think that's exactly how he phrased it, but that's a, uh, me paraphrasing it from Brent Venables. I think that was important that Brent said that last week, right? And we can, I, I think it's reflected here in the chat. I don't know that the chat would say some of the things that they've said tonight, John, about Danny Stutzman if it wasn't for Brent Venables going to bat for his linebacker. Hey, that's absolutely possible. Hey, we just got a few more minutes here. We've gone a little bit longer than we probably had intended, but you guys are just burning up the chat and we're loving it. So thanks so much for, for being a part of it. Um, this is the fun part of football season. I mean, obviously the wins, but seeing guys develop, like that's the fun part of at least being an analyst, somebody who watches and analyzes and talks about the game. Um, just watching players get better. You know, you're, you're never, you know, like stagnancy. It, that's, that's rough to watch. Like players never really improving. Now you come to a point in time where you kind of reached your peak and that's all you're going to, that's all you're going to be. But in college, that's not necessarily the case because you're so young, you're still developing physically you see a lot of times people not really reaching their athletic peak or their physical peak until they're 22, 23, 24, 25. And so a lot of these guys are still de developing physically and they're still kind of learning the game in a, in a way. Uh, some, some guys, they might not have played football since they were 
six years old. Some guys just kind of really started in high school at times. Uh, and so I'm really, I really, I'm really encouraged by some of the development we've seen as the season's gone along. You know, um, I, I think there are players that, okay, we, we might've written off earlier in the season, but now it's, it's really kind of, some of those guys are starting to put some things together and really starting to find, um, you know, some, some confidence they're finding just where they fit in the scheme. Does that mean they're, they're not going to make mistakes? No, everybody makes mistakes. They're all going to make mistakes, but I think those mistakes are becoming few and far between. I uh, just can't wait to see what happens going forward. It's amazing. Isn't it? This has been my, my mantra on the radio side too, John. It's uh, it's amazing. There's, there's no, a win and tonic, I think, is what uh, somebody helped me uh, create today, John. There's no tonic quite like winning. It's important. The the buzz in the chat tonight, the feeling, the chemistry between you and I, I mean, it's just there's nothing like winning a football game. This program desperately needed a win, given the way that the Baylor and West Virginia games played out. All of a sudden, sun's a little brighter. There's uh, hope back on the horizon. It was important with the recruits that were in town. And now what's more important than last week? Stacking them up, baby. Going down to Lubbock and playing well again defensively, winning that game and getting into a bowl game, which, yeah, I know some people like to kind of downplay the importance of bowl games. I think bowl games are really important, and especially for this Brent Venables program. So the way OU finishes this week and into the bowl game, John, I think is uh, very, very important. And I can't wait. There's optimism back. A win in Bedlam, and there's optimism. That's right. Now you can have a chance to finish with seven wins. Again, that's not the standard. That's not what you're you're aiming for. But you take what you take, right? You reevaluate goals. You're changing. Seven wins after starting the Big 12 season 0-3, you take it. Like, you you enjoy the wins. Just take take what you can get. And you don't throw a fit. That's what my nephew uh, Emery would always say. Um, I agree with you, 405 boy. We got to beat Tech. Would love to finish the regular season on a high note on that front, going to a bowl game. I Listen, I, I poo-poo the bowl games. I, I don't really care for them. But because they exist, it's important. Like, it is important for a football program to make it to a bowl game. If they didn't exist, then fine. But because they're there, and everybody else is going. If you're a team that doesn't go to a bowl game, it's not a great season because how many bowl games are there? Like a billion of them now. And all you got to be is six and six. And there are times when a five and seven team can make a bowl game. So if you're not one of those teams making a bowl game, then your season was not very good. So the fact, I mean, this was not a good season by Oklahoma standards, but at least being eligible for a bowl game, making yourself present, being in the in the postseason, getting one more chance to kind of show who you are to recruits, to kind of the rest of the college football world, and beginning to also continue to build momentum to the next season, I think that is kind of important. Um, now, I'm going to put a little bit less stock in this one than I'd put in the Oregon game last year, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But I think it's good to get you know your young guys opportunities and, and get them snaps. And I think that's really where the the benefit of the bowl game comes into fruition yeah any other thoughts josh well i think this is a a good one to end on right here and hey appreciate all of you guys thanks for sharing the 
so we don't even really have to, but we'll go ahead and say it. Anyways, hit that like, hit that subscribe uh, button there for us. But thank you guys for your support and jumping into the chat with us. Every journey, ladies and gents, every journey to success has a bump in the road. This has been the Sooners bump in the road. We'll be on smoother pavement soon, boys. And we might uh, might already be on smoother pavement. Just head on down to Lubbock and go get another. Yep, and that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Make sure you go check out our, our Monday episode where we broke down the game, gave you our thoughts, mostly on the defensive side and the defensive performance. Check that out. Also, go check out our, our interview from Friday where Josh sat down with Jason Belzer of the Crimson and Cream Collective. Um, a great interview, just a lot of really fascinating information there. They're currently working on a $1.5 million match campaign where if you contribute, they'll match whatever you put in. So I know I've... You know, I've been, I've contributed. We've partnered with it uh, here from Locked On Sooners. Uh, and so hopefully we'll be able to take advantage of some of the great things that they've got going on there as well. And we're, we're going to support all sports. Football, that's what drives things. But man, softball, women's gym. We saw the baseball team go to the College World Series last year. Golf is fantastic. I mean, this is a great university with a lot of great athletics programs. If you're considering NIL and being a part of it, we highly recommend the Crimson and Cream Collective they got a great website, easy to use. So go check it out. That was not a paid sponsorship. They did not tell me to say that. That's just my own experience. So again, thank you all so much for uh, for being a part of the show. This is our biggest uh, group of, of uh, live viewers. So thank you for being active in the chat. And hey, being civil as well in the chat. I always appreciate that. I'm a big you know fan of you know sports talk. I think it should be fun. And I think there's a way to engage without being rude or demeaning or hypercritical. So Appreciate you guys. You guys get thumbs up from me, MVPs of the live show tonight. But we're going to come back uh, this week. We're going to try and get up, you know, some some big time interviews lined up for this week. So stay tuned for that. Have you available on our podcasts and also check us out on YouTube. Josh got one more thing. And just to everybody, while we've got you here, happy Thanksgiving yes. to you all. Yes, we are thankful for you. So until next time, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. We'll catch you then. Boomer sooner.